Welcome to Educate to Self-Regulate, a podcast for educational leaders, teachers, and students, where in less than 20 minutes, we unpack educational research to support you and your students to become better learners. Welcome back, listeners. It's the moment you've all been waiting for, the, uh, the start of season two of Educate to Self-Regulate. Shyam, what's the crack? How are you doing? We're back. I, I feel like it's been a a bit of a gap between our last episode and now, but we are here and kicking strong. So Rory, how's it been your week four in four. in term one? Busy, as I'm sure every other teacher out there is. It feels like it's week four in term three, not week four in term one. But excited to be back, excited to have a new class, new students, new problems to solve, and the buzz around school is always great. How's How's your start of the year been? January is a busy month in the space of professional learning for teachers. So <laughs> yeah. It was jam-packed. I guess I hit the ground running quite hard in that first pre-week for the school term here in Australia. Right now, I've got a few things in the pipeline. So shout out for teachers at independent schools here in the ACT. We've got Project Self-Regulated Learning kicking off tomorrow afternoon. And also for schools who are part of the Future Schools Alliance. I have the pleasure of speaking at the ACT study tour that's coming up at the Future School Alliance dinner. So I'm looking forward to seeing you all there. If you're there, come and tell them. So many exciting projects on the go. I know that in season one, we had a predominantly motivation focus in, in terms of it being one aspect of self-regulated learning. And we thought we might kick off season two by having a very sort of a loose and general discussion around the two other aspects of self-regulated learning cognition and metacognition. Teachers who work with me know that last year I had very clearly included a fourth category as resource management. And now as I delve deeper into the field of self-regulated learning, and I'm noticing too, there's a little bit more of a pronounced acknowledgement of emotion in the self Mm -hmm. uh, under the self-regulated learning umbrella whereas i think previously emotion has been kept to social emotional learning frameworks yep whereas now it's being clearly acknowledged in self-regulated learning frameworks so i've started to include while there's still the main categories so motivation cognition metacognition which are the ones we typically talk about i've started to acknowledge resource management and emotion as two other core categories that exist Well, I'm coming to this conversation, I feel like a learner's lens on almost because I certainly see you as a a real expert in this area. And I have to be totally honest with the viewers. Sometimes I even battle with the differentiation between cognition and metacognition and cognitive strategies and metacognitive strategies, even though I've done my own study in the area. So I'm going to pitch you a definition, a very loose one, simple one, and see if you can challenge it or tailor it to make it better. So I sort of see cognition as relating to the processing of information into long-term memory or the retrieval of information from long-term memory. Whereas I see metacognition as what people say, thinking about thinking, which is not really a very helpful definition at all, uh, as the skills, so metacognition I see as the skills and knowledge and strategies used to enhance cognition or make it more efficient or more effective how do you feel about that (laughs) (laughs) uh we had a laugh about this before Rory, but it's quite a complex explanation and we know these concepts are pretty pretty abstract as they as they exist now and so it is really hard to grapple with these i had the same struggle and i'm not 100 percent sold on my current kind of frameworks but they're the closest to clarity that i have and so i guess I agree with you in in that cognition. One way that we can think about it is information processing, 
particularly in a learning scenario, it's information processing. And so what we're talking about there, you know, getting our listeners to cast their minds back to 101 in human learning when they went to uni, you know, memory substructures, sensory memory, working memory, and long-term yeah. memory, things like that. I think perhaps the easiest way to think about cognition is it's our thinking. And so I guess this is how that very simple definition of metacognition has come about is this idea of thinking about thinking, right? It's a meta level. I have an issue with the thinking about thinking definition because it it doesn't actually lend a lot to what it means for us as teachers or what it means for us as learners. There's a range of definitions out there and shameless plug, I made a like a five minute YouTube video like years ago that was trying to define metacognition as I tried to wrap my head around it for my own research. Yeah, And what I found in the patterns was there were two key components. One was that for someone to be metacognitive, they had to have an awareness of their cognition, which is the thinking about thinking that they actually were aware of their thinking. And the second part was that they were able to control or regulate that thinking. Okay. And so that's the two parts that came up really consistently in the definitions that I was looking at. Does that help you in any way, shape and form or is that? <laughs> it does. And, you know, there's elements of metacognition that I've understood as well, that you can have metacognitive knowledge about yourself as a learner and then metacognitive skill, which would be the strategies that you can use to become more effective as a learner yes and this is something that i've battled with as well same metacognitive knowledge could an aspect of metacognitive knowledge for say a year six learner be something like and i I try to teach my students this as we are say planning for writing like writing is a really complex cognitive task there are so many different things that you can think about at one time that's very overwhelming for your working memory and so I will teach students about working memory as a driver to plan effectively. Would that teaching them about working memory and it being limited be considered metacognitive knowledge for them about themselves as learners? I think so, because by developing that knowledge of their cognition, so knowledge of cognition, which is Mm -hmm. working memory is, is a point of cognition. So by developing that, you are helping them develop awareness of their cognition, their thinking. I mentioned to you before, Rory, that I offered a pretty simple metaphor at TEDx Camera, which because it hasn't been published, I thought I can share with you here today if you're interested. I'm excited because you've spoken about this, but I have not yet heard what you're going to say. So <laughs> give it to me. So the easiest way I can explain self-regulated learning is for you to imagine that a light has just gone on in the living room of your mind. In this living room, the TV is mostly on. It's showing your thinking. It's your thoughts. At times, you, you may feel so immersed in the TV that you feel like you're one with the television. You are your thoughts. And I think this is the case for, for many learners, like they feel like there's no yep. separation from it, right? Mm-hmm. Other times you're able to separate yourself from the TV almost, you know, as if you were sitting on some sort of metaphorical couch, yep. <laughs> you know, watching the show. In this instance, you know, you might say that you're you're noticing your thinking, you're aware of your thinking. And that's really the first component of metacognition, like that separation. So now imagine that you're sitting on the couch here, you're watching the TV And, you know, you stick your hand down the side of the the couch and you find, oh, you know, a magic remote. And this remote, obviously, you've got different buttons on it. Um, I love where this is going, by the way. Can I just say, (laughs) I love where this is going. But you can change the channel, right? You can change your thinking 
and you can change its course, particularly in this case for, for optimal learning. And so the idea here is that each button on this remote represents a different tool, a different learning strategy. So for example, you might have a group of buttons that are self-questions. Um, and what would a learner do? What can I learn from this? What is essential for me to learn moving forward? You might have a group of buttons for self-instructions, you know, things you tell yourself during learning, make sure to reread this. Don't forget that failure is a common part of a learning process. Focus on things that you can control like strategy and effort rather than the environment. So you might have a range of different strategies for planning, for monitoring, evaluating, self-reinforcement strategies, the list goes on, but each person's remote looks uniquely different. And it's not just about the number of buttons that are on that remote. Actually, in order to use the remote, you have to know what the button is, how to use the button, and when and why to use the button. Like imagine wanting to change the channel, but pressing the on-off switch. You really want to know what the buttons do. And so in order to self-regulate, you have to understand what the TV is and how it functions. Be able to separate yourself from the TV as if you're sitting on that metaphorical couch and observe the TV, your thinking, and then you have to find your remote. What you want to do is improve the number of buttons that you have on the remote and therefore the way you engage with the TV. I love it. <laughs> it's not as clean as the TEDx. I threw in a like, kind of ad hoc stuff. <laughs> I like where you, you just automatically went into presenter mode. It was great. You'd obviously re refined it so much that as soon as you started reading it, you just went into presenter mode. But I think that's great. And I especially love the idea of developing the remote. It's such a complex thing to try to understand. And I think the, the living room scenario that you created, it actually helped me understand it more. And it also helped me understand what my job is as a teacher a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. I actually, I worked with a group of educators last year, you know, a number of sessions over the course of last year. And when I shared that metaphor, I remember one of the leaders saying to me, Shy, I've grappled with this stuff with you for the whole year and it's, it's been really interesting. But when you shared that metaphor, it made sense. And I hope for the listeners that it helps. And that's the element of storytelling that makes learning like, so much more impactful. I think there is quite a bit of research around how you can tell the right stories along with a complex sort of concept that needs to be taught. Yeah, that it can be more easily understood. And that's the perfect example of that. And I, I know one of my pre-service teachers, actually, he loved the idea so much that he actually designed a remote as like a worksheet and he yeah. gave it to his students to get them to start to like almost just annotate the buttons as the different different strategies that these students were using just because, you know, he just loved the idea so much. So. And isn't it great that you were able to generate, like that is a totally original thought, what you've come up with, the, the living room scenario. And then he's taken that and turned it into something really practical yeah. that you can use in the classroom with the students. If we can start to make this more concrete for people, it makes it more accessible. So that's the aim here. And so let's talk about some of those buttons just for a minute or two before we get on to on the reg. If we were looking at the difference between a cognitive strategy button and a metacognitive strategy button. Have we got any simple examples that we can share with the listeners? Yeah, so I might share this to you because if you think of, Rory, when you're teaching your years five or six students, yep. what's a cognitive strategy that you teach them that helps them process information? All right, so 
I was actually doing this today. I was introducing a, like a highly complex paragraph of text to students. And I knew delivering or when we were, were reading it together that it was going to be challenging. That was the point. And the first thing that I asked them was, oh, we, we've read it once. And I asked them, what sort of things do you think you might do? Because this is a really difficult passage to read. And something really, really as simple as rereading and reading at a slower pace were two things that were suggested immediately. I feel like there are two cognitive strategies that are really relevant for that context. But the students probably would have just thought that that's something that you do automatically, or some may not have thought to do that at all. Yeah. And I guess that's the teaching, the explicit nature of teaching the strategies is to bring the awareness to everybody that that's actually a really effective thing to do, even though to a lot of people it might seem like common sense. Yes, yeah. And actually to add to that, it's interesting because I did a speed reading course many moons ago and the notion of like a visual pacer you know, yes. using your finger to, to help direct your attention yep. that actually helps you focus. So, it's, you know, it's a cognitive element. You're, you're allocating your attention. But to go a step further, it actually reduces what in this course was referred to as backskipping, that tendency that we have to read something and then go, wait, what did I just read and reread it? And that's a lot of time wasting. And so to help improve the processing of the information is that we can use this simple strategy of, of visual pacer, whether it be your finger or a pen or something like that. These are, the, you know, rereading, reading at a slow pace, a visual pacer. I think three simple strategies that we can highlight or make really explicit for our students next time we see them, whether that be tomorrow or next week. And so because we're battling with this idea of cognitive and metacognitive, have we got any really simple metacognitive strategies that might go on that remote from your living room? Uh, that are takeaways, I suppose, for the listeners? Typically, metacognitive strategies fall under the umbrellas of planning, monitoring, and evaluating. I know we spoke about self-assessment being a, a metacognitive strategy and how you choose to self-assess. Most people are cross-checking against some sort of rubric or a set of criteria. I think you were saying that you do that with your class. Yeah, so one thing that's fairly common across primary schools would be you provide the students with a list of success criteria. Sometimes they're co-created. One thing I like to do if we're doing writing and there's certain aspects of writing that we're really focusing on, they would be built into the, the success criteria. And then we use different colored highlighters to code each of the success criteria. And then whether you're doing self-assessment or peer assessment and you're evaluating the writing against the success criteria, you're actually using the highlighter to identify where the success criteria have been targeted and met. Yes. Which is, I think a really useful way to engage in self-assessment. Yes. Yeah, self-evaluation. So well, yeah, self-evaluation is uh, as a subcategory of metacognitive strategies, yeah. I think. Yeah. And I've started to really break down my thinking. If we think of metacognition as a category, yeah. then we've got these subcategories of strategies. So we, we've got planning strategies, we've got monitoring strategies, we've got self-evaluation or evaluating strategies. The other two that I think, well, there's other... There's a number of other categories, but I have kind of self-talk as a really big strategy and, and that really does cross over with motivation and cognition and other categories. So self-talk obviously includes self-instruction, self-questions. Some people might put self-reinforcement in a metacognitive group. I think it could be motivational, but yes. Sorry, I'm and getting think, into technical jargon. Right. And I think that's the beauty of once you start teaching these cognitive and metacognitive strategies to students, and they start to see 
opportunities for transfer from one learning scenario to another. You know, if they know that self-evaluation is important and in writing, we do it this way with highlighting and criteria, there's probably a different self-evaluation strategy in mathematics, for yes. example, still falls under the same umbrella, but the, the strategy might look quite different. And so that transfer doesn't always happen automatically, but it can be taught. And the more that you get students to think like that, the more they start to do it by themselves, I think. Yes, yeah, 100%. Now, Rory, it's time for On The Reg. In the interests of time. (laughs) So tell me, how have you been or what are you self-regulating at the moment? So as it's the new year, everybody's interested in being healthy, exercising more. Like I've spoken here many times about how much I enjoy exercising. But one thing I'm trying to do is really dial in my health and taking specific kinds of supplements at certain times of the day. When you're busy, they often get forgotten about. So I've actually used some of my knowledge from James Clear's Atomic Habits. And he talked about this idea of habit stacking, where if you want to build a new habit, you stack it on top of a habit that's already embedded in your daily processes or your daily routines. And so I'm stacking one of my supplement shakes straight after breakfast. I've got a very dialed in breakfast routine where I put on a podcast and make the same thing every morning for breakfast. It's very boring. But it's easy to do. I don't have to think about it. And then I stack my shake on top. And then I leave work every day, usually to go and exercise. So I've got my second shake stacked as the last thing I do before I leave school. So I pack my bag, stack my shake, and I go. And it's actually been quite successful. I haven't forgotten it unless I forget to bring the shaker to school, which has happened once or twice. There you go. Habit stacking. And shout out for James Clear there. On my end, I guess, you know, I have been trying to engage in journaling more. And so journaling, I think, is a fantastic way to to bring about awareness, so that metacognitive awareness to whatever it is you, you choose to do. So I went out and bought myself two really nice moleskin notebooks and I'm using them in, in slightly different ways. But the idea here being that really trying to tap into a deeper level of kind of thinking here about my own thinking, but also just to capture my thoughts on a, on a more re- regular basis. Can I ask you a question on that? The two different books, are you purposely using two different strategies for how you journal in both of them? Or are they related to two different things that you want to think more deeply about? I feel like knowing you, you have purposely differentiated between these two books. I'm just probing for more information. (laughs) So the black one that I have, it's a weekly diary. I'm not using it as a diary, but the the days are there simply as a prompt for me to reflect on the day. And so what I'm noting down is essentially what happened, what am I grateful for, what can I learn from the day specifically. The Red Thicker Notebook, which again is also a diary-based one, so daily, um, that's really just the collection of thoughts that I'm having throughout the day. Not everything, but obviously things that stand out for me that I think would be a better service to my family or to the people that I work with. I'm noticing, noting it down so I can really capture that. I've been reading a book, well, I started reading a book called Decoding Greatness by Ron, Ron Friedman. And uh, I was reading a part about journaling in that where he talks about some sort of mummy force always wanting to take the higher ground. Like you always want the highest point to be able to get the best kind of vantage point. Yep. Uh, and he, he uses that as an analogy to think about journaling is that oh, journaling yeah. sometimes gets a bad rap. And actually, if you think about it as trying to get the highest vantage point uh, of yourself, yourself, that can only help you then make strategic decisions about what to do next. Two great analogies on the show today. (laughs) Uh, But that brings us to an end. 
Yeah. Uh, lots of love to the listeners and we will see you soon. Thank you. If you are a new listener to the podcast, make sure you share it with friends, save it or subscribe. And if you have any questions and we really want to hear from our listeners, if you have any questions or comments, send us a DM through either of our social media channels, which is Twitter and Instagram at ed to self reg as always to you and everyone else out there. Keep regulating.